If you will now turn to uh, reading number 654 in the gray hymnal, we will share this, this reading prior to the sermon. I will read the plain text if you will respond with the italics. Deep in ourselves resides the religious impulse. We have religion when we stop deluding ourselves that we are self-sufficient, self-sustaining, or self-derived. We have religion when our hearts are capable of leaping up at beauty, when our nerves are edged by some dream in the heart. We have religion when we look upon people with all their failings and still find in them good, when we look beyond people to the grandeur in nature and to the purpose in our own heart. Amen. It is such a pleasure to be here this morning to see some old friends and then to be, I hope, making some new ones. I am the first Unitarian Universalist in my family, officially. Unofficially, things are a little fuzzier. My grandmother was born in San Francisco in the 1890s to immigrant parents. Her mother was a Lutheran from Germany and her father a Catholic from Italy. The story is when they first met, they only spoke German and Italian, so it took them a while to, to get to know each other. When we were growing up, if Grandma stayed with us, she'd accompany us to the Lutheran church we attended. And when I spent the weekend with her in San Francisco, we'd walk up the block to St. Elizabeth's to attend Mass. It was a great education for a kid. The Lutheran church, full of light and hymns and major chords, and with a rather lengthy sermon, the Catholic Church, a vast, shadowy space with beams of colored light, chanting in melancholy tones, and something called a homily, which is really just a happily shorter sermon. When I was starting high school, Grandma suffered a severe stroke. She was moved from the hospital to her nursing home near us, and eventually she was well enough to come stay with us but she was an independent woman. More than anything, she was determined to get out of the suburbs and back to her apartment in the city she loved. Every day when I got home from school, I'd find her in the living room sitting at a card table, shuffling cards over and over again to get the dexterity back in her hands. I'd sit with her and talk to the sound of those riffling cards. We were kindred spirits and our conversations would go deep. We talked about religion one afternoon, about Lutheran and Catholic churches, and how people found God or divinity or mystery in all kinds of places. I remember so distinctly her saying, it doesn't matter what you believe in, honey, as long as you believe in something. Some two decades later, I visited a Unitarian Universalist church for the first time, and halfway through the service, I thought, Oh my God, Grandma was a Unitarian. 
her statement of belief her statement of belief does appear to leave out some key players atheists agnostics humanists perhaps but i think she would have seen those views as forms of belief as well they're tenets that shape a life that form a perspective and for those lucky enough to come into a unitarian universalist church they are tenets always in conversation always being explored grandma would have been good with that she is the wellspring of my unitarian universalist faith or she's one of them there's also the sacred texts of scripture the bible and others as we heard a few minutes ago there's our history with its roots in the jewish christian tradition in the defiance of the reformation and in the literature of 19th century new england and because we are unitarian universalists there is all the wisdom of the world's religions a great wellspring that challenges us even as it gives us strength i love the word wellspring like a well its source runs deep underground under layers of rock and soil we have to dig and drill to get to it but like a spring it's got movement energy it bubbles flows forth it comes to us wellspring do you know in genesis in the creation story and right through the garden of eden and the fall it never rains some scholars suggest that it doesn't rain until noah and the flood so you can you can imagine on top of building the ark the old guys look up saying what is this stuff it's like he's never seen rain before i discovered this detail of biblical meteorology while writing a paper for seminary it comes in the second chapter of genesis which offers a totally different version of the creation story than the familiar one in the first chapter of genesis in genesis 2 man is not created on the 6th day out of nothing and given dominion over the earth he is formed of the earth and given responsibility for it so brace yourself i am going to quote the bible For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to till the ground but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden a stream would rise from the earth all the water of the earth comes from beneath from within and i imagine god using that water mixing it with the dust of the ground to form that first human shape which means we're basically mud pies that have been brought to life in this creation myth a wellspring is the source of our very existence i want to take a moment and acknowledge the beauty we find here a beauty that as unitarian universalists were sometimes a bit quick to reject. Genesis 1 reads, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc., dominion over all things. Genesis 2, in my Bible actually on the same page, says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. To keep it, not as in possess it, but to care for it. to ensure its continuation to ensure that it thrives 
two completely different tellings of the same moment in creation, dominion, responsibility, total contradictions, all in one book, all on one page of that one book. It makes the Bible seem downright Unitarian. There's no question that this book, this Bible, has been used to horrible purpose. It has been used to subjugate women. It has been used to deny them their rights. It has been used to support the continuance of slavery. It is infamous for its five clobber passages that appear to condemn homosexuality. And Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, hateful, as in full of hate. In, Le in Leviticus 20.13, we read, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, they shall be put to death. Nasty, nasty stuff. But flip back a page, just one page, and what do you find? We heard it earlier. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule right there in Leviticus. It's the first place it shows up in the Bible. We know that the Bible is not a history book, but it does reflect a culture that existed roughly two and a half thousand years ago, in which women were placed in a subservient role. And yet, if we look at the women in the Bible, we see that over and over again, they save the men's butts. Sarah, Rahab, Judith, Miriam, Moses' sister, Miriam, keeps watch on her baby brother where he's been hidden in the bulrushes. She sees Pharaoh's daughter take him from that little floating cradle, and she has the guts to step forward to the princess and say, I know a woman who just lost her child and might make a good wet nurse. That woman, of course, is Moses' mother. So Miriam, his sister, reunites mother and son. She saves the day. Miriam is actually the first person to be named a prophet in the Bible. Not the first woman to be named a prophet, the first person to be named a prophet in the Bible. It happens after Moses leads their people through the Red Sea. We read in Exodus, Then the prophet, Miriam, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out with her, with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Picture her, tambourine flashing in her hand, feet stomping on the wet sand. Can you see her? Because she's 80 years old at that point. So much time has passed. She's 80 years old. But she's there, our first prophet, dancing on the beach. And yet, there are denominations that use that very same Bible to, to deny a woman a place in the pulpit. Still, today, they point to the epistles of Paul, who writes in 1 Corinthians, women should be silent in the churches. Paul and the church leaders who followed him over the next two millennia seem to have forgotten Miriam and her song. They seem to have forgotten the fact that the first person who sees Jesus on Easter morning, who hears his voice, is Mary Magdalene, and it's she who first reports that good news. Again, contradiction, paradox, over and over again in this sacred text. Many of us have been burned by this book, but it's only a danger if we read it literally or indiscriminately. It's a danger if we read it as a fundamentalist might read it. But we, as Unitarian Universalists, we can reject 
Leviticus 20.13 and its death sentence for men who lie with men. Because it was written during the Iron Age. And we can embrace Leviticus 19.18 because we recognize in the Golden Rule a truth that spans all religions and all cultures and time itself. A truth that is a wellspring of our faith. You heard earlier about the golden rule and how it shows up in every major religion. As Unitarian Universalists, we get to embrace all of those religions. My favorite you hear, heard earlier is the Shinto saying from Munatada Kurozumi. I'll quote it again. The heart of the person before you is a mirror. See there your own form. There is an aspect of the golden rule here, but Kurozumi takes it further. If we see ourselves, our form, in the heart of a neighbor, if our neighbor becomes a mirror that reveals our own truth, what might we discover? What might our neighbor reveal to us? For Kurozumi, it's not just about how we treat each other, but how we learn from each other, how we challenge each other. Good Unitarian Universalist values part of the global wellspring from which we get to draw. Then, during the same years, during the same period of time that Kurozumi is teaching Shinto wisdom in Japan, our own Ralph Waldo Emerson is decrying the soul-deadening practices of 19th century New England theology and doing it with language of astounding beauty. So Emerson, one of the, considered one of the founders of American Unitarian Universalism, gives a divinity school address. He addresses graduates of Harvard Divinity School as they're about to embark on their careers. But that address is so revolutionary, it's so challenging, that Emerson basically loses his job speaking in the pulpit himself. He stops, he stops speaking in the pulpit from that point because no, no one will have him. But that, that Divinity School address opens with an imagery that made that day in Cambridge, over 100 years ago, seem like one in Eden. This is how he begins. In this revulgent summer, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the buds burst, the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. The air is full of birds and sweet with the breath of the pine, the balm of Gilead and the new hay. He questions, in true UU style, our place amongst that beauty. He asks, what am I, and what is? He asks, what is the human spirit, with a curiosity new kindled, but never to be quenched? He recognizes the wisdom of religions and cultures beyond his own. Quote, piety, fresh and fragrant, dwelled always deepest in the minds of men, in the devout and contemplative East, not alone in Palestine, but in Egypt, in Persia, in India, and in China. And like a good Unitarian Universalist, he finds a wealth of alternatives to the word God. One mind. That one mind is everywhere active in each ray of the star, in each wavelet of the pool. Supreme wisdom. When you choose the good deed, then deep melodies wander through your soul from supreme wisdom. And in his closing sentence, a litany of divine names. He uses teacher, science, beauty, joy. Grandma and Ralph would have really hit it off. She drew on the disparate beauties of the Catholic and Lutheran churches and on their similarities. 
As Unitarian Universalists, our wellspring goes deeper and broader. It bubbles up in 19th century New England and 19th century Japan, in Hindu mythology and Confucian proverbs, in Buddhist teachings, in Emerson and Thoreau. And it continues today. What could be more sacred to a Unitarian Universalist than the poetry of Mary Oliver? Or this from another sacred text, a book that should be in every self-important theologian's library. I am an expression of the divine, just like a peach is, just like a fish is. I have a right to be this way. We are as ourselves unlimited and our experiences valid. It is for the rest of the world to recognize this if they choose. And from the same text, I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. Alice Walker. Think of the riches we carry around with us, all that we are free to draw upon. Miriam and Mary Oliver and Ralph Waldo Emerson and Alice Walker and Munatada Karazumi. And we haven't even touched on our history, our Unitarian origins in Transylvania, where a preacher named Francis David rejected the Trinity back in 1565, declaring that Jesus was a great teacher but nothing more, inspiring his king, John Sigismund, to establish the first statute of religious freedom ever. What a legacy, a political wellspring for our faith. But that's another sermon. We live in complicated times. If we consider ourselves one with those living on the margins, if we see ourselves mirrored in the hearts of our neighbors, we can say more honestly that we live in perilous times. As of this week, we live in times when officers of the law wait outside church soup kitchens to arrest and deport the people being served. But we have hope and we have determination and a wellspring of faith to draw upon. Speaking to his young seminarians, Emerson declared, surely meaning to encompass all of humanity, wherever a man comes, there comes revolution. Man is the wonder worker. It is time for us to do some works of wonder, to do what Unitarian Universalists do best. Speak truth to power, fight for change, stand up, March, advocate, act. We do these things knowing that there is a source of strength and comfort and power in us that reaches back for centuries. We do these things knowing that there is a wellspring that bubbles up and flows through and among us and that it is without end. Amen.